Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nineteen seventy-three. The troubles are raging. The death toll grows. The prospect for 1973 seems bleak indeed. And against this hideous backdrop, a new scare takes hold. Black magic. It began with dead sheep, and then the brutal murder of schoolboy Brian McDermott. Are you working on any theories yet about how he died? And there has been talk of witchcraft. Do you know anything of this? Yes, I've heard these uh, speculations, but uh, I think it's too early in the day uh, for people to come down that it was uh, as a result of, of witchcraft. And after that, it seems the security forces saw an opportunity to use Satanism in their fight against the IRA. What Colin claims they did was set up a few mock black magic ritual sites to put the fear of God into the local population. And then... His idea was you just, you press a wee button, you set the ball rolling, and you let the people take it from there. To explain this extraordinary time, I'm joined by Richard Jenkins, author of Black Magic and the Bogeyman. Richard, you're very welcome to the Bell Tale. Thanks for coming in. We've all, I think, heard of Black Magic. But, But what is it? Well, it exists more vividly in the minds of people than it does in reality. Um, I I don't say there's no such thing as Satanists, because that's not true. But there are few and far between. And in terms of the organised practice of black magic, that's even rarer. Is there a known history of this black magic in in general here? No, not really. Um, In fact, I would go as far as to say no, not at all. Uh, there have been one or two odd things in 1961, for example, in Annie McGee. Uh, some quote-unquote black magic paraphernalia was found in a uh, near the Gobbins in Annie McGee by some students who were out for a cycle trip, some Queen's students. Um, I have it on the authority of people that live on the island on Annie McGee because I'm from Lorne and it's just across the lock. It's just across the lock. That was a prank. So given that paucity of, 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 of witchcraft and witchcraft fears and scares and accusations and obviously the executions which can come about because of that, I mean, how did this black magic thing emerge in the 1970s? Well, You'd I'd, think we had enough to do. You'd, you would have thought so. You would have thought so. And I think you have to put a whole 
set of things side by side to come to a reasonable, a reasonable understanding of it. Uh, and, and in no particular order of importance, I would include the following things in that. The first thing is that it was at a time when witchcraft, Satanism, was never out of the Sunday, the Sunday papers across the water. And that, of course, fed across here because those papers, you know, the news of the world, the people and all that kind of thing, they were, they were widely read over here. So, you know. so that's one factor. And it, it was also a whole, I mean, it was, a, it was the heyday of um, black magic in the movies. You had the Dennis Wheatley films, The Devil Rides Out, To the Devil at Daughter. You had subsequently The Exorcist and stuff like that. There was a, a kind of a an upsurge in horror movies about this stuff. And people went to the cinema and they didn't know any reason to think that this might not be true, you know, or if this kind of thing might not happen. So there was, there was a background then of that. Uh, and there was the troubles. And um, I'm old enough to be able to remember just what a dreadful time the early 70s was. It's truly awful. It was the worst of the troubles, no question, by a very long distance. So what you had was a population that was in fear, it was, was afraid and anxious and uncertain. The worst year of slaughter since the present emergency first spewed violence across the province five years ago. The prospect for 1973 seems bleak indeed. One thing we do know from history is that at periods of fear, anxiety, uncertainty, people start looking around for explanations for things. Why is this happening? And among the explanations which certain Protestant clergymen found in Northern Ireland at that time was that it was something to, you know, black magic was a part of the devil's, the devil's influence was at work. And I, I do not exaggerate if this is well documented. So there's that as well. Um, there was another thing, um, and this once again brings me back to the Belfast Telegraph in a good way. Dylan and Lehane, two very, very well-known journalists at the time, produced a book called Political Murder in Northern Ireland. It was published 50 years ago this month or next month, which is, and it was 50 years ago we're talking about. And they were looking at the assassination campaign and they pointed out, or they, they quite correctly in my view, that some of these assassinations were particularly nasty. Now, you might think that's an odd thing to say. They're all nasty. They're all dreadful. But there were some that didn't just involve shooting somebody. They involved using a knife on them carving symbols and marks on their bodies, torturing them, in other words, and then dumping them when they were dead. And these they describe in the book and in the pages of the Belfast Telegraph as ritual murders. So there was a discourse, if you like, there was a, converse, a public conversation about ritual murders, you know. But, 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 there were also specific, these are general, these are general background factors, there were specifics. In early August 1973, the Sunday News carried a front-page story about sheep being sacrificed by Satanists on the Copeland Islands. And the closer you look at that story, the more ridiculous it is, but it didn't seem ridiculous at the time. And there wasn't much in the way of evidence, but what there was was the testimony of a USPCA inspector based in Newton Ords who push, was pushing this line very, very forcefully that 
sheep had been sacrificed in an occult ritual on the Copeland Islands. Now, it made a big splash that Sunday at the beginning of August, but it would probably have died away as a silly season story, the kind of thing that crops up every now and again. But but there were sheep there slaughtered were, in there, the Copeland Islands. Well, no, there were dead sheep. There were dead sheep. But there's no evidence, and there wasn't any evidence at the time, that they had been sacrificed or that there had been a ritual there. Okay. Well, I, I, I have found in my youth dead goats in the morns and their throats had been slit. Now, looking back, I think someone has just got rid of goats by slitting their throats and dumping the thing. But certainly at the time, there was no doubt about it, it was devil worship. <laughs> you know? Aye, well, as I said, people look for explanations for things they can't have a, they don't have a ready explanation for. But yes, I, I do take your point. But all the evidence would suggest that that was a classic silly season story. But then, a month later, came what I think is probably the pivot around which much of the story revolves, which was the killing of nine-year-old Brian McDermott and the finding of his mutilated and partly burned body in the lagoon. Has it been established yet how the boy died? Uh, not at this stage. Uh, we are still waiting on reports from uh, the state pathologist department as to the actual cause of death. There's been a lot of speculation about this death, especially as it was such a vile crime. And there has been talk of witchcraft. Do you know anything of this? Yes, I've heard these uh, speculations, but uh, I think it's too early in the day uh, for people to come down that it was uh, as a result of, of witchcraft. But I should perhaps make this quite clear, uh, that there's nothing to date to indicate that it arose out of the uh, terrorist campaign that we have experienced during the past four years. Now, this was a truly horrific thing, even by the standards of Belfast at the time. And it didn't take more than a day or two before somebody put two and two together in the context of this story that had just been published about the Copenhagen's and stories about black magic and his death as a black magic sacrifice began to circulate. The killing of Brian McDermott is absolutely pivotal in terms of trying to understand this. He had a wee boy who went out to play in the Ormo Park and didn't come back. Every parent's nightmare. Uh, and in fact, most of us that have got wins don't even like to think about it because it makes me sick to my stomach. It turns my stomach over, you know. Um, he didn't come back. And I think two days later, his remains were found in a sack in the lag. And, and he had been, someone had tried to cut the body up and then someone tried to burn it to get, all to get rid of it, you know. Now, regardless of who killed that wee boy, and it's not a secret, actually, in journalistic and law and order circles in Belfast, who killed Brian McDermott? It really is not. And in fact, the family have made their own accusations and I think they're fairly on the ball. But regardless of that, because of the Copeland Island story the previous month about these sheep supposedly being sacrificed by Satanists, people were make, putting two and two together and making five, six, seven, eight. And I think what you have here is a killing which was locally so dreadful. I mean, 
this was the time the assassination campaign was in full tilt. Bombs were being placed all over the place. People were dying. And yet, a nine-year-old boy? No. This is way beyond the pale. Not only that, but the treatment that his body received subsequently, that was way beyond the pale. And people were looking for explanations for it. And in the Black Magic one, they found something that allowed them to distance that killing from the local society. It was something completely out of the ordinary done by really bad people. But without that killing and without the subsequent discussion of that murder, I do not think that the rumours would have taken hold in the way they did because even in Northern Ireland in the early 70s at a time of terrible shock and violence, some things you just didn't do. And this is one of them. And it couldn't be ordinary people that did it. It couldn't be, it certainly wasn't political. And there needed to be an explanation. And in the Black Magic rumours and in the the way in which some Protestant clergymen talked about black magic and so on and so on, there was an explanation, a potential explanation ready to hand. So, so that's why, I mean, there was fertile ground for there this. There was fertile ground. There was a superstitious population, a religious population, an anxious and fearful population. There were people, bodies being found every other morning in Belfast, some of them with what were described as ritual-style injuries to them. So it wasn't foolish. It, it, it was And from a certain point of view, I mean, clearly, um, I mean, I think, I think the most people would see political uh, assassinations as deeply wrong. Uh, I mean, that's an ethical morality, that's, and we, we've discussed that before and we'll discuss it again, but I think that the jump between ritual killing the word evil and Satanism, especially in a very religious population, isn't that great? No, it's not. Uh, particularly when you've got unexplained, mysterious death of a nine-year-old whose body was mutilated and partly burned. It, 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 makes, it makes a certain kind of sense. And when you've also got certain Protestant, in particular clergymen, banging on about black magic and the devil and the coming of Armageddon, etc., etc. And it begins to look even more reasonable. People looked up to these people. And when they said something, people paid attention, you know. Recently, Richard, I made a podcast about the the, the death of Rosalind O'Kane. She was found in a burning flat on Cliftonville Park Avenue in the early hours of the 17th of September, 1976. Now, she had been stripped Naked, she had suffered a fractured skull before her body was set on fire. Now, I I mean, it was a particularly brutal case and her family believe that it was a sectarian killing. But their concerns were initially dismissed at the time when the RUC suggested black magic could have played a role in a horrific crime. That's that's extraordinary. I think that's uh, extraordinary in several ways. Not the least of which being that several years had passed since this brief outbreak of Satanism fears. And it had all all gone away, you know. And why the RUC chose, or why the detectives in question chose to introduce that particular theme into the investigation, I don't know. But it also looks to me like fairly lazy policing, actually. 
it looks to me like somebody that wanted to explain it away rather than explain it. And also, we do know that some RUC and Army intelligence people were hand in glove with loyalist paramilitaries. We know that. It's not a controversial thing for me to say. And it looks to me like somebody who wanted to divert attention away from who actually killed the poor woman. In your book, I mean, you, we've mentioned the security forces now. In your book, Black Magic and Boogeyman, I mean, you do have a source who stated that the psychological operations branch of military intelligence yeah. exploited public fear of Satanism stoked by films such as The Exorcist and The Devil Rides Out. I mean, that are we actually saying that elements of the security forces, uh, uh, military intelligence, used black magic or fear of black fear magic? Black magic. It, 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 yes, that's it, what we're saying. And I don't find the terrible the terrible thing about that from my point of view is I don't find it at all far fetched or difficult to believe. But there's a point about the source himself, Colin Mullis, a man whose name has reverberated through various uh episodes in history, in the history of the troubles at that time. I mean Colin Wallace was many things. He was a professional liar. By his own, I mean, that's what he did, black propaganda. So one has to be very careful about what he says. But when I interviewed him at great length about this black magic episode, and I dare say that at that stage, I knew more about the newspaper coverage and the stories, blah, 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 than he did. In fact, he said that. Um, there was nothing. I didn't tell him anything before I interviewed him. You don't prime your interviewee in order to get back what you already know. I told him I was interested in this, but that's all I told him. And then he told me about the activities of the what was called the Information Policy Unit, based at uh, Lisbon Barracks. And everything he told me fitted with what I knew. There was nothing he told me that I didn't in one way or another actually know already. And his track record of being morally on the right side of arguments isn't too bad. He's, the, he's one of the people who has persisted in trying to get some closure and clarity about what happened in the Kinkora Boys home. You know? And he suffered for it. He was, he was basically slung out of the army. He was subsequently framed for a murder which it turned out he didn't commit, although he did serve time for. And the interesting thing about that episode, somebody got killed, Colin Wallace was put in the frame for it. He served time, although he was released because it turned out that he didn't do it. But somebody killed that person. You don't have to think James Bond in 007 to have some seriously unanswered questions there. One of the things I think it's always conspiracy, like what were they trying to achieve by this? Oh, well, 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 might you ask. What Colin claims they did was set up a few mock black magic ritual sites to put the fear of God into the local population. One in Uri, one in North Belfast. There was one near Parkgate, near Temple Patrick. He claims there was one in Island McGee, but it was never actually found. And then his idea was you just, you press a wee button, you get the, set the ball rolling, and you let the people take it from there. And and they also, they also planted phony readers' letters. 
and a couple of phony stories about sacrificed cats and various things. And they, they work through proxies often as well, getting other people to to, 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 to make the running with in, in public, you know. The, the Republicans, by the way, never bought this. The Republican News, very early on in this episode, published a, a, a big article in Republican News, headlined, Black Magic, Black Propaganda, saying that it was the work of the army and it was all an attempt to scare the population and keep kids inside at night so that the army could get up to whatever it was getting up to. But, of course, the Republican News, you might say, would say that. But then it turns out they were right. And Wallace claims to have been inspired by the work of a man called Frank Kitson, Brigadier General Frank Kitson, who was at one time, just before this episode, uh, the commander of the army in Belfast. And he had worked in Kenya, East Africa, in the, 50, in the 50s and 60s, when the Mamo insurrection was taking place. And he had created fake Mama groups to go out and commit atrocities, which would then be blamed on the Mama. And the Republican News and Colin Wallace both said they were that these were Frank Kitson's tactics. Uh, and they both alluded, and, and the Republican News alluded to the fact that uh, the army had created f- false sort of witch doctor sacrifices and things in Kenya, you know. Now, what's interesting about this is that it's actually not true. If you read Frank Kitson's own books, he wrote two books about his time in Kenya and counterinsurgency tactics. And nowhere does he mention the manipulation or the exploitation of black magic or anything like that. So I'm at something of a loss to know where Colin Wells got that because he didn't get, didn't get it from Frank Kitson's own works. But Frank Kitson was around and for all I know, he could have suggested this at one stage. But black propaganda, so-called, was basically an attempt to destabilise local populations in, in insurgency and guerrilla situations, you know. And in, and as, as, as Colin Wallace, I think I'm quoting him correctly now, he wanted to tar the paramilitaries with the brush of the devil, with the brush of Satanism, with the brush of evil, you know. So I just wonder... I mean, this is what this is what they were trying to do. Um, this is the aim. This is what this this is who was behind it. But but how would they do it? I mean, you mentioned letters, but I'm just wondering. I mean, how would you how would you try and create a site, a devil worshiping site in the minds of people? Well, how? in the case of North Belfast, they found a derelict house. They set up a, a, a mock ritual site with a pentacle thing painted on the floor, some black candles. Uh, some blood from the army canteens smeared on things, etc., etc. You know, and indeed the rumours about that site were quite extensive. I heard them myself, you know, and it, it it did make its way into the local newspapers. We have in the Belfast Telegraph this this, this strangely this this term these rumours and these suggestions have come up in recent months. That's 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 what gives us the idea for this yes, podcast the Russia, and through the Russian O'Kane story. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, for the most part, I mean, these obviously there was a very quick decline in these the, these rumours. They, they spread. They, 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 it was from September to mid December, nineteen seventy three. That's no no time at all. But there's one other point to mention. 
there's really good documentation that a year earlier in Belfast, supernatural rumours and stories about the Troubles were circulating. So it came, it, it, it appeared in the public eye as a result of the Copeland Island story and the McDermott killing. But these supernatural rumours, particularly among young people, had been circulating for at least a year. And the human imagination is a very funny thing. But just as it can produce great works of beauty, it can produce macabre stories which set the hairs on the back of your neck going, you know. Richard, Professor Richard Jenkins, thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a 75 euro O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish independent. Terms and conditions apply.